Welcome everybody to the Between Two Wheels podcast. This is the What the F*** Just Happened edition. Well, stages 7 through 10 completed. It's a rest day. We're going to get you up and running just when you thought you knew and you can start predicting what's going to happen. Now, the tour gets shaken on its head. You realize this is the Tour de France. Things happen. We'll do 7 through 10 stage uh, updates, some results, analysis on those. Some things that make you go, hmm, some ins and outs of the tour. We'll also do the next week's preview of the stages to come. Look, it's crazy. It's a Tour de France. It's what you enjoy. We're right in the meat of it, about halfway through in miles. Three, two, one. Let's go. Okay. We had stage six, which is uh, La Planche de Belfi. It was the big climb. It was when we were going to see uh, the GC favorites, the general classification, just shake everything up. We're going to have uh, Alaphilippe spit out the back. We're going to have Brunel going way off the front. None of that happened. Alaphilippe holds yellow. Um, We have uh, Brunel staying in there. Uh, Garrett Thomas staying in there. We had Roman Bardet going out the back. We had Pinot going up the front. Things were were, were sh- taken into shape, and then, then we saw some interesting things take place the next day. So we come into stage seven. It's going to be a little bit more relaxed. EF Education First had lost a little bit of time with Rigoberto Uran uh, and uh, Mike Woods. Uh, they lost a bunch of time for um, um, TJ Van Garderen, so TJ is looking to be helping the team out. They come into stage seven. Stage seven, Belfort to... Chalon sur Saron, 230 kilometers, longest day of the tour. This was last Friday. Uh, it turned out to be, you know, as, as these are, you could tune in for maybe the last three kilometers. Get, wow, that was an exciting stage. If you tune in for the whole 100, 230 kilometers, the whole 230 kilometers, maybe the most boring stage of the tour. Well, not for everybody. Uh, early on, we saw a crash by EF Education First American rider TJ Van Garderen. He finished the stage. He looked like he had been like he looked like he'd been a prop in a Siegfried and Roy extravaganza gone wrong. He was just cut up from head to toe. Uh, evidently, he had a broken thumb. He ends up making it through that day, long day, because this happened early on in the stage. But he ended up having to abandon the next day. So due to his lost skin, his broken wrist, it was a no-go. He was disappointed. He'd been looking well, at least for helping. You know, TJ had come out and had some comments of always like, well, you never know about me. And like The reality was as soon as Planche de Belfi happened, he was always going to be a support writer. And, you know, uh, Iran with he and Woods, uh, that could be a very good support for Iran. TJ's out, and then we'll have to see what EF Education could do. Hold your horses, because they play a prominent role in the decision-making of this whole race up until now. Maybe the most decisive till now. We'll talk about that coming up. All right, to the finish of Stage 7. This one was a little bit more interesting. So, Decoin uh, a Quick Step, they have this, this dominant lead-out for Viviani coming into the last few K. They get to the last three. All the GC riders start to move, you know, towards the middle of the back in that wash machine area. Dequina quick step comes up to the front and Dylan Gornewagen's still in there. He has Mike Tunisa, Tunison. Um, Caleb and Sagan are kind of going solo. Sonny Cabrelli's there. But in the end, about 250 to go, Dylan Gronewagen, about fifth or sixth back, jumps hard on the left. He was on Caleb Ewing's wheel. Caleb decides to go to the right. As uh, Gronewagen almost comes up even with Viviani, Viviani jumps, then Sagan's going. But in the end, it's just a two-man sprint between Vivi- um, sorry, between Gronewagen and Caleb Ewing. They blow the field away. They get a bike-length lead on Sagan. 
And in the end, it's Dylan Gronenwagen, uh, Caleb Ewing, and then Peter Sagan with uh, Sonny Cabrelli, Jasper Philipson, uh, UAE team. Look, this kid that was on, I think, Action Berman last year. So he's his first tour comes out from the lower ranks. He's 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 doing well. Nazolo gets up there. Viviani though in sixth place. Viviani said later on, "Look, I had a slow leak. I had like 50 psi in my front tire, so I was having a leak, and I wasn't really able to sprint." Interesting than that. And then I saw someone with a close-up picture of him during the sprint and his tires both look uh, well inflated now if you have a tire uh half done you know like 50 psi should you maybe not be having your team lead you out isn't that a little dangerous in the sprint to be having a 50 psi front wheel uh, knowing the full dangers that can happen you're taking some corners and up and running and sprinting i think i just call bullshit I, uh, BS. I, th- I think that he was just um, trying to find an excuse for not having the legs to compete. Uh, wait till stage 10. I'm, I'm interested to see this, the, his excuses for that. So in the end, you finally see Gronenwagen get the win. And you know what I like? If you've, you've took at the, the helmets that um, the, the sprinters have for uh, Jumbo Visma, they have their front first name on the top of the helmet. So it says Dylan, and you can pick them out. Dylan, Mike, so it's kind of cool. It's a it's a new little thing, and it's in pretty big bold letters. So if you take a look at that, you're at least able to find those riders. And maybe um, the guys on NBC coverage could use that to make sure they get the calls just right. General classification, uh, you did have Ciccone. Remember, we saw we thought we thought um, uh, Alaphilippe would lose a bunch of time. He did lose enough time on stage six to stay, get out of the yellow. Ciccone ends up with that, but just by, what, six seconds or so. So he's in the yellow jersey. Alaphilippe in second at six seconds. Dylan Toynes in third at, 40, at 32 seconds. Then George Bennett, 47 seconds. Garrett Thomas, Bernal, all the big big hitters up there and running. Stage eight. Stage eight, Macan to saint Etienne, 199 kilometers. This was Saturday's stage. Uh, deceptively climbing stage, almost like a traditional mountain stage with all the climbing. I think somewhere, you know, close to 12, 13,000 feet of full on climbing, but it just had a bunch of lower category climbs. Um, cat two, a cat two, a cat two, a three, a two, a two, and a three, seven categories climbs, time bonuses for the last category three, and then again at the finish. So a ton of climbing. And what that stage saw was Thomas DeGant gets out there in a breakaway with uh, Demarchi, um, also Ben King. They end up dispelling uh, Ben King at one point. It's just Demarchi and uh, Thomas DeGent. In the end, those two going off, DeGent then dispatches of Demarchi, and he's off solo. What you saw behind, though, was around 13, 15K to go. The field is on. I mean, the sprinters are being, they're, they're spit out the, the, the road uh, off, the, off the pack. So you just, it's going to come down to who of these like Sagan, Michael Matthews kind of guys can do it. And maybe we'll be able to catch uh, Thomas Legant. He's, you know, minute plus out. It's really close in there. There's going to be this cat three uh, climb up to the, um, in the last, you know, 10 K and then the descent down and then into the finish. There's a few little more risers there. So the idea is, you know, it's going to be on and you saw EF education first really drive in the front there. I think they had it in mind to have Mike Woods taking a little attack there, kind of like you saw on stage three with Philippe when he went with him, well, tried to and didn't go uh, to catch up with him. However, this time, Mike Woods does play a prominent part. Once again, he comes around a corner, right-hand corner. His wheels totally slide out. 
he's just said it's it's all his fault. It just happens. But right on his wheels were most of the EF, uh, the Ineos team, and uh, Moscon goes down onto Woods, and then you have Garrett Thomas slamming into back him. Matter of fact, he gets high sided and and actually leaps out over his bike and the the photo before he hits the ground looks pretty bad but i think he was able to kind of land on his feet and and almost run it out uh they immediately get garrett thomas back up and running kwiatkowski uh does the nice thing and puts the chain on and pushes him off i think that's the thing you do that way you don't have to actually help chase everyone from any else comes back bar burnell burnell stays up with the front group she should do uh, the whole Enios team just hammers it. Mike Woods is not able to get back up in time. He loses a few minutes that day, two or three minutes. I think it was like 2.30. Uh, but the Enios team drives it on. They get Thomas to, before the climbs, uh, the last Cat 3 climb, they get him right near there. Watt pulls the last one, gets him a few hundred meters there. He uh, closed that gap himself. Bernal stays up in the front. Then what you had on the climb Oh, by the way, uh, Moscon's bike was snapped in like two or three pieces. Uh, and you're like, this looks a little odd from the actual wreck itself that he would, his bike, you know, what, what kind of precariously built bikes are these? Well, I saw a video later where from the commissar's car, they come around the corner and it, it, Moscon's bike's in the road. It looks like they run over it. it. looks like they just, they don't even attempt to get out of the way. They're not going that fast. They just boom right over his bike. It looks like maybe that's the reason for his, like, it's going to be harder to have your bike in full pieces, um, one piece, if a car runs over it, rather than just wrecking it to the back of Mike Woods. Uh, there was some little comments about Garrett Thomas, you know, kind of complaining about Mike Woods. And, and my thought is, why are you riding behind Mike Woods? Uh, actually, I even heard Vodders. He, Vodders was saying, why is Garrett Thomas on the wheel of a guy that was just newly <laughs> new to cycling, a former runner? Now, look, the, the, all these guys should be able to corner just fine. And it looked like Woods just slipped out, didn't catch a pedal. It just maybe balance. Uh, for some reason, it happens. Um, either way, Thomas looked very impressive getting back up there. Needless to say, while he's finally catching up to the group, that's when Alaphilippe, on the top of that climb, uh, kicks over the top. He gets a bonus time a second uh, going over, and the only one that goes with him is uh, Pino. Pino ends up going with him. Then those two take the heroin descent. They have one of the best descenders in Alaphilippe and one of the most notorious descenders in Thibaut Pino several years ago. I think he was taking mental uh, like coaching. He, had, he was doing all kinds of uh, exercises, uh, trying to shred these demons of his descending. He, he just had horrible horrible time going downhill matter of fact you know like he may not even be able to survive uh, not literally well possibly that too but uh, he may not be able to continue on uh, in the pro peloton because he's so unable to descend but he's definitely got over that he's able to hold in the wheels they were not able to bring thomas de Gant back and in the end it was one of the most fantastic days in racing thomas de Gant holds off for the win uh you had teams from behind and we'll get into some of this this little issues that happened with the chasing but um uh Thibaut Pino comes in second uh Alaphilippe still gets comes in third still gets enough time bonus to take over the yellow jersey so you have those top three guys all of them basically gaining something and winning on the day Thomas DeGant gets the stage win he's loving that uh, Thibaut Pino gets 20 30 seconds on Garrett Thomas and all the other GC favorites, he's loving that. Alaphilippe gets to be back in the yellow jersey for coming up for Bastille Day, uh, the 14th of July. So everyone is kind of a winner on that day as far as those guys go. 
However, let's take a look at what was happening from behind. EF Education first. They're on the front driving this thing, trying to bring the whole group back for Mike Woods. Mike Woods uh, wrecks before he's able to launch an attack a la, a la Philippe style in the la, over the last climb. That didn't work out for them. Trek chased in hoping to get Chaconi back into yellow to, to bring back uh, Ala Philippe. They weren't able to do it, but you only had Chaconi. Actually, he was on the front chasing himself, and you had Balka Molomar. He was doing the work. Richie Port was not willing to to take it. You know, is that a bit of controversy? I, I mentioned before that I think this is Trek's biggest accomplishment so far of the season. I think they have hardly any wins, maybe five. Uh, one of the biggest accomplishments of the season is Ciccone. I mean, he did well at the, the Giro, but obviously getting in the yellow jersey here at this race. And then we see on today on stage 10, kind of Richie Port doing what Richie Port does, uh, making mistakes. So would it have been better that Richie maybe helped chase a little bit? Possibly so. He didn't do that. What did we learn? Pinot learns to descend. DeGant can motor. Michael Matthews won the field sprint for fourth, and perhaps this was his best chance of getting a stage win. Once again, slipped through his fingers, not being able to pull those brakes back, and then not also being able to pull the rest of the guys back uh, that were up the road. All right, top three benefited, like I said. Ciccone out of yellow. The results, Thomas DeGant first, Pino six seconds back. In second, Alaphilippe the same time, and then 26 seconds back to Michael Matthews. Uh, but we said there were some time bonuses split out there along the way. So the GC comes out at Alaphilippe in first, 23 seconds to Ciccone, through a 53 to Pinot, um, Tom, I'm sorry, George Bennett, uh, 110, and everyone else still smattered along the way, uh, as we've discussed. Uh, no one losing much uh, time as far as that day from the from the GC favorites. Yesterday, well, Sunday, we had Saint-Antienne to Briode, 170 kilometers. Uh, look, normally we have Monday being the first rest day, but this year it's on Tuesday. So these guys, they're still, they're getting more fatigued. And But you expected after the hard, hard riding that they had done on stage eight, the stage nine was probably going to have a breakaway. And, and it didn't, didn't fail to have that. The break ends up for the day, 16 plus minutes, but most of the day it's 14 minutes up the, or 10 minutes up the road or so. Uh, pretty good stars breakaway. You had some of the Tish Benoit, um, D- uh, Daryl Impey of Mitchell and Scott, Benoit of Benut, sorry, Tish Benut of Sudol Lottel, or is it Lottel Sudol? I don't know. It's been announced both ways. Uh, Nicholas Roach, uh, Sunweb team was up there. Roach and, and Tish get up the road a little bit uh, near one of the last few climbs. Uh, Dale Limpy skates across to it. He gets up to it nice and fine. Then he starts just driving the pace along. Next thing you know, uh, Tish is on the front on a climb. They get rid of Nicholas Roach. It's kind of surprising. And it's just those two to come out to the end. Look, Benut has, he won, uh, Strada Bianca, uh, last year with, you know, came in up in that one with Roman Bardet, uh, very good rider. Um, you'd think he'd be, have won a bunch more races just by the way he races, but um, a little lacking on that. But Daryl Impey. Daryl Impey is a guy that is, you see him mixing it up. I think at stage one, he was in the top 10 for the sprints. So he can get up there with the main sprinters if he's in the right position. He has a nice kick. He gets over these climbs well. He's kind of a second tier, I don't want to say Sagan, but Michael Matthews type maybe. Um, so the point is he has a finish. And when it came down to it, there was nothing Tish could do. Uh, he starts to sprint out, and Impey just immediately puts a bike length or two on him, and they both stand up. Uh, Benoit's actually able to just 
comes in behind him and Daryl Impey is able to post up. The rest of the field comes in, what do we have, 16 plus minutes back. Uh, and when they came in, they were all just rolling in nice and easy over the line. So no change in the overall, but you had Daryl Impey first place, Tish Benut in second, ten, and 10 seconds behind them was Jan Tratnik, Oliver Nason, Jesper Stoyven, Nicholas Roach, Soler. Almost everybody was represented up in that break at some point. I think UAE was maybe the only team that wasn't. Um, Rui Costa did try to get across to the group, and I guess right when he was about 20, 30 seconds from getting there, you had Daryl Impey and some of these other guys on the front just kind of driving it again, Stoyven. And he was not able to make connection. Pretty, um, pretty disappointing day for him. But it's the way it was. You can't get, uh, you can't let Rui Costa get up there because he's a, he's a guy that can finish at what multiple world champions championships. I mean, he's won a bunch of stages in the tour, so you know that's not a guy you want um, messing around. Overall, didn't change. Alaphilippe, Ciccone, Pinot, Bennett, Thomas Bernal, Kreuzwick, Rigoberto Oran, 138, and this comes down to today. Well, stage. 10 Monday with stage 10 on Monday you had 218 kilometers St. Floor to Albi this was I had some pitches in it some climbing stuff uh, but what you had mostly was concerned was going to be well what's going to happen on a day before the rest day guys are hoping to just get to the finish but with that just hoping to get to the finish is you got a rest day the next day so some people are really willing to unload the tank as well there was rumors of Crosswinds happening. Oh, I forgot to mention, Dimarchi, um, he, like I said, he was in the break with DeGant the day before, comes in yesterday. He wrecks early on, head down on the ground. Um, I didn't see the wreck, but I saw the aftermath, uh, watching it on TV, about 150K still to go. And he's face down on the ground. They say he didn't lose consciousness, but he broke his collarbone. He broke some other stuff. And maybe, I don't know if he hurt his head, but it, he would look like there was a, some blood pooling out. So, haven't had a real big exodus of people in this race. Uh, and we could maybe talk about why that is the case coming up. Back to stage 10. Uh, there riders, there's, there is a breakaway up the road, but they're always kept within a leash. And you saw about 50K to go. Team Ineos goes on the front, and they try to start to kind of split it up. It doesn't happen. EF Education does something like that too. So everyone's on edge because last 20, 30K, you know that there's a big crosswind. There's a little bit, still some undulation. And all hell breaks loose with about 20K to go. EF Education first comes to the front. They are just absolutely drilling it. They're going up this little climb. They're coming down, spinning out. They're doing everything you can do. And the field is kind of breaking apart. But suddenly, they go around a roundabout. They take another corner. And... There is a massive sort of separation and a big time crosswind. You all of a sudden see Ineos at the front. You see uh, Quickstep at the front, and you see a massive amount of pink from EF Education first back, way back, getting split out. I don't know what the heck happened, but what in- inevitably you find out is Thibaut Pino miss. Well, one other thing too, immediately on that part is. Um, George Bennett of Jumbo decides that, well, the, t- or the team decides that he needs to go back and fill himself up with water bottles. He's up there getting water bottles. He's suddenly in the back of the split. There's like three groups all of a sudden. In the EF Education first is just getting washed through. You have Rigoberto Uran misses the split. Thibaut Pino misses the split. Richie Port misses the split. Uh, Jacob Fuglson misses the split. Uh, 
and they have teammates in there and they start to charge back. So the second chase group is getting really close to the front chase group with about 15K. And at one point, there's this little climb that they have. I don't think it was categorized, but it was near the end um, in about 12, 15K uh, to go. And um, everyone just unloads the tanks. You have Tom Squeens, Mullima, all these riders for Trek up there doing what they can. Uh, Lutsenko is up there. Uh, EF Education First only has Rigoberto Iran. But as they come to this thing, to this last climb, a bunch of the GC riders hit the front and they pound away to get up back up to the group. And as they crest over the top, they're 11 seconds off of the front group of Ineos, Decoin, and Quickstep but they can never close it down. They did the gamble of we've got to unload this thing. We've got to try to do our best to just catch up to them, have our GC riders. It's a big gamble because now they didn't have any teammates with them. They are left to ride the rest of the race with about 10 guys in there. At one point, Landa comes through because he's got a mechanical. He'd been up in the front. Um, matter of fact, you had a movie star. Quintana makes the group. Corizwick makes the group. Dan Martin makes the group. Uh, Caleb Ewing makes the group. Gorniwagen did not make it. Uh, Michael Matthews and about five of his Sunweb guys did. Sagan, of course, makes it. Uh, I think the entire Ineos team is up there. At one point, they're pulling. You have Movie Star pulling. Um, Valverde's on the front. He starts having words with Luke Rowe. Luke Rowe says after the fact that um, what happens was uh, quick Movie Star rider. Oh, Landa had flatted and Movie Star stopped pulling so then Valverde <laughs> rolls through the front and just starts kind of clogging up the works and so Luke rolls like look man I don't mind that you guys don't pull but you got to get out of here this isn't the this isn't the the kids leagues that's actually something like one of the quotes he said so the point is uh Ineos Dequina Quickstep and Bora Hansgrohe just are on the front full throttle this group that had uh, GC favorites that had missed out uh which was about 10 11 seconds off, they end up stretching that out further and further and further until they are uh, minute 40 or so. But let's get to the finish. Those guys obviously don't catch up. They're the big losers on the day. But as you come into this, to the finish, Dequanna Quickstep gets on the front for Viviani, who was still up there. And then you had Michael Matthews' team with a K and a half to go, lighting it up on the front. There's like five of them. He's sitting in the hot pretty easy chair that's what it is he's sitting in the easy chair coming up for the finish on his wheel is Caleb Ewing Wout Van Ertz up there still uh and as they hit around 250 Wout hits out first uh Viviani starts to sprint those two start to make it Caleb Ewing has to kind of fish his way through you can tell he doesn't have the pop Michael Matthews who had the the easy chair uh, going up there with his team is one of the last guys to try to jump at this point it's too late for him and in the end, Viviani is taking over the lead. And at the line, Wout throws his bike for a very narrow half-wheel length win over Viviani. The expression on Viviani's face is priceless. It's one of those ones that um, makes my heart warm. And it's uh, Wout Van Ert does a very bold thing of posting up when it was so, <laughs> way too close for him to be posting up. But he did, and he was right. Wout Van Ert, first Tour de France, gets a win. You know, it reminds me, we talked about was at the 2000, um, 2004 Tour de France uh, with Lance Armstrong, one of the anniversary years. Uh, and in the first race that year, what, doing his first race was um, Cancellara, who started the race, the prologue, winning it. 
And then the bookend with the very last one in his first race was uh, Boonin, Tom Boonin. They both get a win in their first race. And, uh, this reminds me of that because he's going to be, you know, we talked about him being such a cyclocross star. And at some point you're going to just say, oh, yeah, he used to ride cyclocross because he's going to have so many amazing wins and credentials to his name uh, for the road. Walt Von Ert gets first. Viviani gets second. Caleb Ewing third. Another third. I mean, he's got a lot of top top threes this year. Um, Michael Matthews in fourth. Peter Sagan in fifth. Jasper Philipson, Cabrelli, Trenton, Nason, uh, Van Avermaet, Alaphilippe, Thomas. So that's where you start. Amazing day. Uh, Bardet made that group too. He was 20th on the day. Let's take a look at the overall GC and kind of some guys that moved up and down. Alaphilippe stays in yellow, doesn't lose any time to Garrett Thomas, but in a, inevitably he moves up because Ciccone went back to help Port or he was missed out and was trying to help Port, so he drops way down. Um, like I said, Bennett had been in fourth place. He goes, he was all by himself. Those guys in that third group decided not to even try anymore. He was in fourth place. He was still trying on his own. He ends up losing 11 minutes uh, or so today. So the overall, you have Julian Alaphilippe in first. Garrett Thomas moves up to second uh, at 112 back. Egan Bernal up to third at 116. Kreuzwick third. I'm sorry, in fourth at 127, he takes over Bennett spot, Bachman, Moss, uh, Adam Yates, Quintana, Martin, Ciccone, Pino, Conrad, Uran. Rigoberto Uran drops five places down to eight, uh, 13th. Uh, he had previously been eighth, down to 318. That's a big loser. Uh, Roman Bardet kind of stands still. Um, Fuglesan, Warren Barguy made the split. Uh, Richie Port missed the split. And with that, you have just such a disappointment because he made it through stage nine. Stage nine has been his nemesis crashing out. Not, you know, stuff is happening. And then he misses this. I, what The biggest weird thing to me is Rigoberto Uran. Your team, you set the team up. They're going to be hit in the front. They're lighting it up. They are trying to shred everyone out. And all they do is put themselves in the meat grinder, and including Iran. Where was he? Why was he? Why was someone like Warren? Why is a, a Roman Bardet, Warren Barguy, a Nero Quintana, these little guys able to be up there in the right position and Rigoberto Uran is not? Why is Thomas not? I mean, why, Thomas was. Why is Pino not? Why? What was Richie Port? You know, um, what was interesting was uh, I heard uh, Michael Kwiatkowski talking after the race and he was like, look, you know, we tried to do this at 50K to go. It didn't quite work out. EF had tried it. Okay, so you know, you know this is on. You know from 50k to go that teams are going to try to be splitting it up. Why are you sending? Maybe you don't, I was going to say, why are you sending Bennett back to get bottles at 20k to go? But you know what? He's not the guy for them for the overall. Maybe you think you don't want your big guys back there. You want them up there protecting Kreuzwick. Maybe you want Dylan Gronenwagen up there in case the split, the the the, the sprint. They just miss out. So you send back George Bennett, who is perfectly fine because you only need him as support in the mountains. Maybe that was the reason he was getting bottles. I tend to think you know, him being in fourth place, he just he's riding well. You don't risk that. So stupid to send him back for bottles at that point. Why is Iran not ready for this? Uh, these are things we want to know. You know, there was some talk from Thomas that they went around a roundabout and uh, when things kind of really started to hit the fan and Ineos went one way to coin a quick step went one way and he said they moved they, when the quick they went the right the correct direction and when they came around they were suddenly in first place 
and team guys that had been pulling got slotted back to about 20 back. Okay, maybe that's so, but I still don't understand how you're missing out completely. That, that shouldn't be the reason why it didn't gap you off. So it's very interesting to see that happen. Um, let's just do some roundup of some things we had here. Um, TJ Van Garderen's out. Demarchi's out. Uh, how does TJ being out affect EF education first? I don't know. Would it have helped them today? Maybe. Maybe it would have had one more guy to help pull to get Iran in the right position. I don't know. Possibly. Woods crashed with Thomas. It looked like Thomas is unscathed with that. I mean, he still looked fine today. Uh, how does that affect Woods? Woods seems to be okay. He said he was fine, but it didn't help him in the crosswinds today. Port not helping Ciccone. Um, I think that could, before today, I would, my, my thought on that was going to be, well, look, Ciccone, if he helps Ciccone just a little bit and he helps pull that back, what you're going to get in return is probably a Ciccone who's willing to dig even deeper for you at some point in the mountains and help you out. Maybe it would have helped them even more today. If you show that you're going to be, you know, helping your leader out, like you see Alaphilippe doing these things for his sprinters why he's in yellow. I mean, that's, that's, they're going to re, they're going to reward him later on. So uh, interesting. I don't know all the dynamics, you know, we're just doing these, uh, from, from here, Richie Port makes it past stage nine. We're happy for him, but then total failure for stage 10. Philippe, he's chasing time. He's chasing yellow. Will this diminish him for week three? You know, the French are very excited about now. Look today, uh, stage six, they ugh, disappointed with Roman Bardet. And then they're excited about Pinot after stage eight, and then they're disappointed with Pinot for stage 10, but they're okay with Bargui and Roman Bardet. But thank God they have Alaphilippe. So Alaphilippe's still in yellow, but is he going to be something for the overall? I think he's when we hit these longer mountains, he's going to be uh, going out the back. But I think he's going to be going out the back because of the way he's racing now. You can't be lighting it on fire day after day after day like he's doing and be okay in the third week. It's just not going to happen. Maybe I'm going to be wrong. Um then, then we'll have to talk about the new way to race, maybe, because um, you just don't see this happening. Uh, I'm enjoying it a lot right now, but um, in, in, in the results are, I don't think it's he's going to be able to last. Who is looking good? Well, I think Garrett Thomas is looking better. I mean, he's gone down a few times now, but he's been able, you know, chased back and was able to to really help himself out there in stage eight when uh, Woods took him out. Uh, very impressive. Uh, he looked really good on La Planche de Belfi. Uh, is it going to be, I, I don't think Bernal is the guy that everyone, um, thinks he is. Once again, I'm going to revert back to how he did a uh, tour de Suisse. He beat Rowan Dennis. That's who he beat. Okay. I mean, no, no offense to Rowan Dennis, but he beat Rowan Dennis. Uh, now Bernal is still Bernal. So, uh, I expect him to be top five, but I, I, I really actually, I see him off the podium a bit. Um, probably totally gonna eat my words on that one. Rigoberto Aran, Pino, I thought coming into today, those two were magical. They were looking great. Uh, eh, now, really disappointing. I don't know how that does with your morale. They had to put a lot of work in today. So you have Thomas, Bernal, Quintana. Quintana wasn't taking poles up the front today. You know, getting all that time gap, a minute 30-some day on, on stage 10 with him. But meanwhile, Fulsan, Port, Aran, Pino, these guys are all, they drained themselves the last 20K working super hard. So they they burnt a ton of matches, lost a ton of time, while uh, I'm sure it was still difficult for Quintana, Thomas, Bernal to, to hang up there with that front group. 
they had a much easier time sitting in that fast pace on their teammates' wheels than these guys did chasing. <clears throat> Who looks bad and who's out? Well, Vigenzo Nibali. We haven't really talked about him. He had a bad day at La Ponce de uh, Subsequently, the next um, stage eight, he also went spat out the back before the finish. He's obviously going to be looking for stage hunting, if anything, but he's done. Uh, I don't know who who Bahrain Merida really has then for a GC. Probably nobody. So it'll be interesting. Just kind of that, that team was going to be more stage hunting, as we saw with Dylan Toynes. Uh, Warren Bargui, uh, he did a really good. Uh, he made an attack on stage six, got caught, got dropped a bit. I think that climb is just unique. I don't want to say read too much into what that climb will do for their overall but i don't think he's the guy i think he's going to be for stage hunting as well who needs a dramatic change in fitness well i was saying roman bardet and maybe steven kroiswick kroiswick still looks fine once again stage six is hard to see but he 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 faltered a little bit more than i expected on on that one day uh he is more of a little more of a grinding wider kind of a quintana like uh so maybe he needs some help now you just what you really need is some sort of miracle for these Five guys that lost a bunch of time today. Full song, as an example, has been one that um, you know everyone's been uh, kind of holding hope to. <clears throat> but what do we have coming up? We have a rest day. Then on Wednesday we go Albi to Toulouse, 167 kilometers. It's got a few cat climbs, uh, three, four, and a sprint. So it should be a sprinter's day. We should see a sprinter's day on Wednesday. Look for Gronewagen. Caleb Ewing has really got to get his win. He's been very close. Uh, not many more opportunities. Uh, then you have Thursday, Toulouse to Bagnères de Bigori, 202 miles. A few more little category climbs uh, coming near the finish. Eh, maybe a sprinter's day. I mean, it looks like a something that maybe those sprinters can get over, but you know, maybe a breakaway coming out of that. And that'll be an interesting day because the next one on Friday is a 27-kilometer time trial. These riders, these GC guys, probably don't want to be risking their time trial. They could lose as much time in the time trial as they lost uh, today, as a matter of fact. Uh, or, you know, look, Pinot went all out on stage, was that stage nine, um, stage eight, sorry, stage eight uh, on Saturday to get 20, 30 seconds and in the matter and, and you know, got, got some, put out a lot of energy. And then in a matter of 15K, he loses over a minute putting out probably just as much or more energy today. So, you know, dramatic things can happen in the wind. Once again, the Friday time trial. Then you have the Saturday, you've got uh, up to Tourmalet, 117 kilometers. So not a long stage, but you've got a summit finish. Uh, Sunday to, to Foix, it's another summit finish. Then you've got a rest day. And then you got a flat and then you got some more climbing. So that's kind of what you have coming up. You're going to have some more GC days with the time trial and the climbs few days for the sprinters, a little bit mixed in, and um, we start to hit the Pyrenees. Let's do some odds and ends of the tour. There was a controversy about uh, drafting on motorbikes. A bunch of guys have come out really upset about that. I think they were most upset because stage eight, they didn't think they could haul down. They had two French guys up the front, Pino and Valverde, and the, the, the feeling is probably that they were getting helped out by motorbikes. There's been a new study that's come out that's basically shown that um, you know the advantage you get from a motorbike even 50 meters away. So what do they do? Well, you know, 
I like good video and we need to bring more people into the interest of this. So whether we start having bikes go way back, drones, uh, more maybe more on-bike footage we can have. Uh, those are things to think about. But there probably needs to be, you really want to make sure you don't diminish the TV coverage. You want to have more and more of that. And I get the bikes are part of it. But as long as there's safety involved, maybe that drafting is just something you have to worry about. I don't know. How about some things that make you go, hmm. This last week, uh, there was motor doping reported in Italy. Two riders were at a crit and they were suspected of using a motor. At the end, they were asked uh, by the race organizers they could have their bikes inspected. Uh, both of them hurriedly went away, got in their van, and drove off. Uh, the race organization uh, was trying to keep them, other riders were trying to hold them there somehow uh, while they called the police to have this uh, done, you know, inspected and have their, their bikes checked. So, a few items of interest there. Um, one, uh, it should be noted that one of those guys, I think, finished eighth. So, you have a motor on your bike, and the, be <laughs> and the best you can do is eighth. And maybe I see why you have a motor on your bike. The other one was interesting. Um, you know, we're like, oh, you got to inspect the bikes. You call the cops. Call the cops. That's interesting to me. Uh, I don't know. Is it a criminal? Maybe it's a, it's a criminal statute on the books to use a motorized bike for a bike race. Think about it here if you're in the U.S. I know there's other countries of people that listen. But um, would you call the police on someone for that? That doesn't seem like a criminal offense at all. Uh, if anything, it's a civil issue. But why, why were you getting the police involved? So I'm really interested. I mean, Italy really takes their motor doping seriously, maybe more seriously than the, you know, and, and it seems like the UCI takes this more, they take a lot of things weird and serious. You know, there's, they're measuring sock height lately to make sure that that's not an issue. Um, anyway, I, I couldn't imagine calling the police or what the police would do would force you to turn over your bike. Um, seems like uh, some uh, some rights infringements there, but people people like to infringe on rights all the time. And maybe this is just another example of we've really got to make sure there's no one using a motor. That is one of the most that's that's what we need to call our civil uh, our police force to come out and check. All right, some winners and losers, <clears throat> definitely winners on the on the the first few weeks there. Julian Alaphilippe, Thomas DeGant, and Team Yumbo Visma getting another win with Wout Vunder. They've got four stage wins. Uh, Everyone's different. Well, stage two, was it four? Uh, the, maybe that's just three wins. Uh, no, Tunison gets win. Uh, they get a team time trial. They get Dylan Grunewagen, and now they get Wout. So they have four stage wins. Pretty impressive. They've obviously had a great tour. Uh, Kreuzwick, I think, is just going to put the cream on the crop. Uh, the cream on the cream of the crop? I don't know. He's going to put the uh, <clears throat> something on the cherry on the top uh, for them this year. I think he will should be able to get a top five, possibly in the podium. Some losers. Uh, maybe Nibali, Michael Matthews and Caleb Ewing have been knocking on the door. They've been close. I think Matthews isn't, the, you know, today was, he would have been outgunned to him to get a win today would have been a little bit much with against Ewing, uh, Viviani, obviously Wout Venner get it in there. Um, so I'd say he's maybe been a little bit of a, a loser as well, but on the big, on the day is EF education first. Uh, one of the big losers, uh, after today, seeing them, uh, basically set the ball up, ready to spike it, and then just get blocked and hammered them. So, I mean, they're, they're, they had nobody in the front. They're, they blew their entire team out, setting this up, and it makes you wonder um, whose payroll are they on? Ineos to coin a quick step? They did not do themselves any favors today. 
All right, everybody, thank you for joining in. That's been episode 137. Give us some comments. Uh, I've always loved to hear some people chiming in, their points of view on any of the, the opinions I had today uh, that we take on the Between Two Wheels podcast. Uh, the next week should be coming up uh, pretty exciting. Um, I'm looking forward to more general classification battles. Some more of this, you know, it's all we had to be reminded of today. You had wind taking out more time on the favorites than the 20 some percent steep pitches of La Planche de Belfi. Pretty amazing. It's the way the tour is. Just when you think you have it dialed in, it changes, it flips everything on its head. The only thing that hasn't flipped on its head is Ineos is still in the lead or at the lead and they're looking very strong and they're looking like they're going to be able to control it. Why did Ineos have, I think, all the guys make the break today and EF Education first had none? Let's think about it. All right. Once again, check out the show on any of the podcast platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbeam, Overcast.fm. Check us out on our YouTube page, Between Two Wheels Podcast, also our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Until next time, stay out of the window.